O Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us and grant us peace. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we've come together this evening to participate in a funeral service. We mourn the tragic death of someone who was not just any man. He's not merely a good teacher. He's not a spiritual guru or a life coach. He's not simply a doer of good deeds and a righteous, upright example of moral living. He was the light of the world. The eternal word of God made flesh, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the only begotten Son of God. Jesus' death was no accident. He was killed. And someone was responsible. St. Peter stood up on Pentecost Sunday to preach to the masses, and he laid the blame at the crowd's feet. They had crucified the Lord of glory, the one whom God has made Lord and Christ. They crucified him. But we must know that we share in their blame. You may be familiar with the old spiritual song, Were You There? Were You There? When they crucified my Lord. It's often sung around this time of year. We're going to sing it this evening. But it's a song that revolves around a rhetorical question that can only be answered by an individual with faith. Because the answer is yes. Yes. We were there when this happened to him. By virtue of our baptism into his death, we were crucified along with him. It was our sins that held him there. It was our sins that brought upon him the wrath of God. And yet, according to God's gracious ordaining, there was a happy exchange that took place there. A happy exchange that took place on the mount called the skull. Through that same baptism into his death, your sins were transferred to him and his righteousness was transferred to you. You and I are Barabbas. We're the murderer who gets to go free in exchange for the life of Jesus. So when we survey the wondrous cross, it does pour contempt on all of our pride. It lays us low. It tells us what we really are. Sinners at odds with God. And at the same time, it shows us His great love for sinners. So much love. So much love for you. That he would take on flesh. That he would take your place upon the cross. Therefore, when we look at Jesus nailed to the wood, we see God's greatest glory. We see our highest good. The account of our Lord's passion, especially in the Gospel of John, teaches us many things. But tonight, I direct you to a few key events in the crucifixion narrative for your devotion. In chapter 19 of St. John's Gospel, we are told that Jesus was nailed to his cross in between two thieves on this hill called Golgotha. Pontius Pilate, the same man who had previously caved to the mob and failed to stand his ground, hung a sign over Jesus' head. On that sign was written a phrase in three different languages. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. 
The religious leaders took issue with that. They wanted Pilate to change it, change the wording. But Pilate finally found some resolve for himself, and he refused to do so. He had previously questioned Jesus as to whether or not he truly was a king, but now, in a stroke of irony, he couldn't confess otherwise. What I have written, I have written. When we see Jesus on his cross, we see a king reigning from his throne. He is the promised king who would reign from the throne of his father, David. This is not the king that many were expecting whenever he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. This was not the way that they envisioned him bringing about his reign and rule, his kingdom and authority. But this is God's way. In Jesus' work on the cross, we see the upside-down values of the kingdom of God, or should I say the right-side-up values of the kingdom of God. Everything is flipped on its head. It's this kingdom of God in which the humble are exalted and the proud and lofty are brought low, brought to their knees. For Martin Luther, the crucified Christ is where we see his kingly reign most manifest. Under the second article of the creed, the small catechism says, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom. Why does Jesus go to the cross? to fulfill the scripture, to be our king, to bring us into his kingdom. In the next movement of John's gospel, the Roman soldiers were dividing Jesus' garments among themselves. It was a four-way split. Jesus' tunic, though, came in one piece, so rather than tearing it up or cutting it up, they just they cast lots, they gambled for it. And so while Jesus passively endured the torment and the, and the shame of the wood on his back, the giant nails through his hands and his feet, the crown of thorns pressing down on his brow, and the wounds from the cat of nine tails, men took his clothes and played games with them while he hung naked. In the Garden of Eden, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, they sewed together fig leaves to cover their nakedness, to hide their shame. But God made them a promise. He would provide for them, for us, a better garment. God clothed them that day in the skins of a slain animal, pointing forward to this day on Golgotha when the sinless one would be laid bare before the world so that we would be covered with his righteousness. Here, Jesus fulfills the scripture for us, not only as the righteousness that we need on account of our sin, but also as the suffering king in Psalm 22. One commentator, Paul Kretzmann, said, The game of chance was not the result of chance, but happened in accordance with the prophecy of the psalmist. Everything that Christ had, his body, his life, his very clothes, he gave up for the love of sinners in order to earn salvation for them. Yeah, in, in that psalm, hundreds of years prior, 
King David wrote this. He said, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. It may seem to our eyes that it is the, the Romans and, and the religious leaders and the, uh, the soldiers who are in control here, but Jesus remains in control. Eve leads on the cross. He fulfills these scriptures so that not one would be left without its completion. So that he may deliver that fulfillment to you as a gift in holy baptism. He fulfills the scriptures for you even to his dying breath. And he even has enough left in him to make provisions for his mother. There she is standing under the cross along with her sister along with Mary Magdalene. John, the beloved disciple, was there too. This is, this is a, a picture of the Holy Christian Church. A community bound together, knit together by the word of Jesus, standing under the cross. So while the world about us rages and mocks Jesus, we place our trust, we place our faith in the man of sorrows. And there, Jesus did not fail to keep the fourth commandment. He honored his mother. He cared for her. He cared for her until the very end. Woman, behold your son. He directed her to John the Beloved. Behold your mother as he bade John to take her in as his own. Kretzmann said, this active obedience of Christ, this active obedience of Christ serves for our salvation. He has kept the law in our stead. So whenever you look at a moment like this, although it moves us very deeply, it, it moves us, it gives us an emotional uh, sensation to see how Jesus feels about his mother. And that's all well and good. But this is much more than sentiment. It factors in before our life it factors in, in our life before God. Our life before God is pleasing in His sight on account of the Son and the Son only. And finally, when the time was right, Jesus muttered those words, I thirst. Not only was Jesus physically exhausted, and not only was He desperate for something to drink, but He again became for us a living fulfillment of the scriptures. And in this case, it was Psalm 69. As you see him there in your mind's eye, bleeding, suffering, breathing his last few precious breaths and calling for a drink. See him there for you. The Lord of glory who was the agent of creation, the very word which God spoke to create all things visible and invisible, the one who is responsible for creating spit glands was spat upon. He also became thirsty such that his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. There in his dying moments, the Lord Jesus fulfilled scripture. And rather than give him some water to drink, they gave him sour wine, again, in keeping with Psalm 69, to fulfill the scripture. And that was enough for Jesus. There was just one more thing left to do, 
And that was die. After receiving the sour wine, he said, it is finished. There are no more scriptures to fulfill. There's nothing left to be obedient to. Nothing left for him to accomplish in his earthly ministry. All that is left is death to die. And so he did. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Christ died because he willed himself to die. He wanted to fulfill his own word that he spoke in John 10. He said, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And because his was a willing death, we know that his sacrifice was pleasing to God. It was pleasing to God and that would be proven at his resurrection, his ultimate vindication. But for now, we mourn the death of the Son of God at this funeral service. We grieve for our sins that put him there. We lament the great chasm, that, that cosmic rift that we caused between us and God such that it would take the death of God's only Son to repair it. But we also glory in his cross. We glory in his death. We see in our crucified Messiah one who is most majestic, altogether lovely, indescribably beautiful. We see the one who went there for us to make us his own in his kingdom that has no end. We see the one who was not satisfied until all scripture had been fulfilled so that his righteousness would be served on a silver platter for us to lay hold of. So as you rest this weekend, do so knowing that your Savior also rested. He rested in the tomb after he breathed his last and gave up his spirit. He was taken to his tomb and your sins went with him. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.